welcome to Fusion Fast Forward. We're building a bridge between the recent online retailer Fusion event and the in-person online retailer event in July in Sydney in partnership with online retailer Nora Network and Mouth Media Network in New York. I'm Mark Rako. Matt Hassan is a senior economist with Westpac, Australia's first bank and oldest company with specific areas of expertise in the housing markets and the Australian consumer sector. Uh, Matt's research has been instrumental in shaping Westpac's views on the Australian economy. He's provided some very important insights into the behaviors of the Australian consumer. He's also the author of Westpac's monthly Redbook report regarded as essential reading on the consumer sector. And, and I should mention that Matt's 2020 keynote, Australia Economy in Recession and Recovery, was a big deal at Fusion. And uh, we wanted to ask him if his predictions in his keynote came to fruition, if there have been any new insights or patterns he's observed that were not previously predicted, and essentially any update on what he shared in 2020 that is worth mentioning and maybe what's changed since then. So with all that massive introduction, welcome Matt to the show. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mac. So so maybe we could start out here. Could you uh, perhaps give a, let's go, let's go in our time machine, go back to 2020, revisit your keynote. And let, let's, th- let's think about what the primary points were that you covered there that we can then go forward in our time machine and see, check our progress. Okay, let's do that. This is always an awkward thing for uh, economic forecasters. Uh, you know, Nobody's judging. Who's looking back? But but I think it's a really good uh, opportune time to to do this. Yeah. You know, if we go back to October last year, the time of the the conference, um, you know what we had. Obviously, COVID was still a dominant uh, story narrative. Of course, of course. Uh, and we were really in the grips, you know, of, of the third wave of of COVID outbreaks. It was rampaging through Europe. Situation was deteriorating at an alarming rate in the US. Um, uh, uh, domestically, you know, we we just brought a, a quite a, a serious outbreak uh, for us anyway uh, in, in Victoria uh, under control, um, but it was still a, a pretty nervous time. Uh, you know, the the forecasts we were talking through at the time, you know, we thought that the the situation locally would stick, um, that the you know the vaccine promising uh, a vaccine would would come through at some stage uh, this year. Um, and that we would see this initial rebound in Australia uh, from reopening uh, and then a bit of a difficult period, really, as, as we still sort of uh, traverse some of the, uh, the the legacy issues around the COVID shock. Uh, you know, since then, you know, really the standout development around COVID has been on vaccines. You know, about a, a few weeks after the conference, we had the um, a, the very impressive results uh, from Pfizer uh, and Moderna uh, with very high efficacy rates. And that all happened a bit about a month earlier than uh, people were anticipating. Of course, those uh, vaccines have now been fully approved. Uh, we're well into a rollout uh, in the States uh, and in the UK, the Europe's still sort of traveling a, a bit more slowly. Um, but that whole uh, sort of part of the, the forecast, that's coming through much uh, better than expected. I know that the disease is still still uh, been pretty bad and it's been a very difficult uh, winter in the Northern Hemisphere. 
uh, with more heavy lockdowns, uh, particularly in Europe. Uh, and Europe's disease situation is still looking uh, much more more difficult. The vaccine rollout's being slower. There's uh, you know fourth lockdowns uh, likely in, in some areas. But um, you know, for us, that you know the, the game changer is around vaccinations. Um, you know, last year we sort of talked about uh, how you know the the rollout could get us to a safety point. You know, maybe by the third quarter. You know, maybe with uh, sort of you know you know the, the the pandemic functionally over by the end of the year. Um, I think we're now um, you know, three or four weeks away from a really important safety point uh, in the UK and the US, which is uh, the vaccination of the most, the highest at-risk groups in the population. So that uh, dramatically reduces your uh, your, your fatalities. Uh, and in terms of you know, effective herd immunity, for want of a better term, you know, that's you know, likely to be around the third quarter uh, of this year, and, and this for, for Australia, I think this this uh, you know while we, we don't have the, the pandemic issues uh, really uh, hitting us uh, locally, um, it does offer a, a better prospects for you know the, the staging of, of growth this year. You know, we talked about um, you know this this difficult transition period, for example, last year. You know, I think that that looks a little bit smoother now, uh, and one of the things that uh, the vaccine uh, enables in Australia uh, is, you know, we can uh, move from this, you know, these these heavy-handed, um, you know, uh, economy-wide uh, measures, with you know, sort of the the, the brief, you know, week-long uh, lockdowns that we've seen in several states over the last few months to try and curtail the risk of outbreaks. We can shift to much more of a risk management approach. You know, I think as as we roll out vaccines locally, you know, we start with you know the the, uh, the the frontline health workers, uh, the quarantine and and travel sector, and all of these localized outbreaks that have occurred over the last year here have all emanated from our quarantine and travel uh, system. Uh, you know, and I think we, when we can sort of manage those risks, then we can start to uh, relax around domestic travel restrictions uh, and also social distancing restrictions domestically as well. Uh, so I think that gives us a, a better impetus this year, and of course it brings forward some of the. Uh, external border reopening story. There's a difference between the door being opened and I'm allowed to walk through and a willingness to walk through. And that, that can be a sense of, if you will, Stockholm syndrome where, <laughs> you know, where a lot of us, I mean, this is a real issue right now is mm. people have been so afraid to go people, a certain number of people that they may not go whoopee. We can go back in stores or we can be out in the world. We can travel. They're going to be like, yeah, I ain't ready to do that yet. Uh, a, a certain number of people, number, number, some people will be eager. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, uh, retailers and, and store managers and business people, you know, they're, they're people too. And there's a certain segment of those people that will make their business decisions based on their own sort of personal view of what is safe and what is not safe. And, and so I don't think it's just, or I guess the question is, you know, how does that affect the, the sort of theory of retail reopening or or commerce reopening versus the practical reality of how fast that really will based on individual psychological or emotional decisions. 
It, it is a very complex picture around that. I think that you know, you, you're absolutely right to emphasise the, the psychology uh, going forward because I think uh, you know the uh, Stockholm syndrome. I, I tend to think of it as sort of a post-traumatic stress disorder. Right, is probably probably what it is, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, Although one it, might but, say we've been hostage to COVID, but go ahead. <laughs> that's that's right. So oh, uh, go ahead. Maybe, maybe we prefer to stay in our cages <laughs> rather than sort of that's venture right. back out there. Um, look, I I think you can argue quite a different angle a few different angles around that okay um, well i mean i know i'm so, talking to an, so, an analyst or, or you know, <laughs> so so i i i think firstly the, the way i tend to think of it is that um as 2021 progresses we'll get more and more accumulating evidence that uh the the vaccines uh, are safe and and highly effective and i think that will bolster confidence um, amongst those that are still you know, fearful of, of, of re-emerging, and I, I think uh, you know, firstly, the, you know, the next the next month or two is really important for that because, as I said, we hit those milestones: the twenty to thirty percent of the population of, of uh, the the elderly and the most at-risk groups that account for you know ninety-five percent of the the severe. COVID hospitalizations and fatalities uh, will be uh, largely immunized. Uh, and we've hit that milestone already in some countries. So Israel, as you probably know, is, is you know, running about a month ahead uh, on most counts in terms of their vaccination rollouts. And, uh, and we're already seeing in, in, in the case of Israel, this dramatic drop in severe hospitalizations amongst those in, in, in older age groups. I think once we get that news starts to come through, and we see, oh look, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, we we you know we're talking about deaths numbering in, in the tens and the, the rather than the hundreds or the thousands. Um, then I think people uh, shift their views incrementally. Again, you know, once you start to see the the number of cases drop um, steeply uh, as the wider population is, is is immunized, and 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 the the COVID emergency is is I think it, we, we get this greater sense that the COVID COVID emergency is. Is, is starting to, to dissipate. Um, and, and so I think the confidence starts to come through. I think the psychology is really fascinating because, yeah, I think there'll be some groups that are just going to you know, bide their time, you know, wait a couple of years. They're not going to go on that European holiday um, you know, straight away. But um, you know, throughout this, um, the, the pandemic, we have seen uh, different groups have, have very different sort of risk perceptions you know people particularly you know, sort of younger age groups have been much more prepared to chance their arm and go and do uh, risky activities in the midst of a pandemic i think you you give them the option to uh, get vaccinated and i think they're just going to go off and, and do whatever the hell they like that's their, it's their golden ticket to, to to go back to to whatever they, they've been missing and so uh, you know with that Yes, you'll, you'll get this, this mixture of response. It's really hard to judge, you know, gauging that that mood at the moment. I think we're still, we're not really there. I think there's still a lot of trepidation about vaccines. Uh, there's concerns about, you know, new variants. Um, and, and, you know, we got hit so hard by COVID so many times, we're kind of waiting for waiting for the next big, uh, you know, bad news event to come through. Uh, but against that, you know, that, that group that has been prepared to go out and, and just, live their lives, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, is, is really likely to take the vaccine and go and run with it. And there may be pent up demand associated with that. People who, you know, delayed their their uh, you know their their uh, their big trips, you know, going ahead with it. So I think um, you know, of course you're right to sort of you know watch this one as it unfolds. But I think you know the psychology, we've kind of got to get a headspace away from the 2020, you know, you know, 
batten, to, batten down the hatches and, and ride it out to, to one in which we can now, uh, I think, you know, reasonably manage these risks um, with you know, armed with a vaccine and armed with uh, you know the everything that comes with that. You know, hopefully good good operating systems for you know, monitoring and maintaining things. I think we can afford to be a little bit more relaxed this year. Let's let's move on to your uh, your your next prediction or uh, <laughs> prost <laughs> well, Okay, so so I think I think yeah, again, sort of going back to to compared to back in October, uh, you know, we we thought that uh, you know the Victoria's second round lockdown uh, would uh, would knock the the state economy back on its heels, uh, would get this sort of delayed reopening rebound and then there'd be this difficult period so we've had uh thousands of of australians have had temporary uh, loan deferrals during COVID. we've had enormous fiscal supports from the government job keeper programs uh, suspension of insolvencies uh through this period all of those things would start to roll off uh, and we'd get some some delayed impact and we called that back in october the the sort of difficult transition period once you've sort of got a little bit back towards normal but you've still got these things to work through these legacy issues from the recession uh, and you're still uh struggling in terms of you know your external borders aren't reopened and, and you're not quite back to, to full health um as things have transpired the uh, the shock from the the second round lockdown of Victoria uh, was considerably milder than expected. The reopening rebound has been uh, considerably stronger uh, and uh, and more sustained. So the second half of last year, you know, back in October, we thought we'd get about one point eight percent growth in the third quarter, two point two percent growth in the fourth fourth quarter. Both of those quarters have seen growth of above three percent. So uh, you know we've we've adapted, I think, to some extent to the the restrictions that are still around uh, and and the, that were imposed. And certainly we've we've come through these sort of mini lockdowns state by state over the last few months, uh, very very much unscathed. Uh, and the underlying impetus, the momentum to growth, is looking uh, much better. Uh, it looks now like uh, the economy we back at its pre-COVID levels of activity, uh, probably by about now, the, the end of March now, looks like to, likely to be the point where we get back to that pre-COVID starting point. Uh, and when we look at the, 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 the road ahead, uh, we still have this transition looming. You know, the end of March is the end of the JobKeeper uh, wage subsidy support, the giant measure, fiscal measure that has uh, kept people in jobs uh, and there are even, uh, you know, as we are in February, you know, there are over 100,000, 120,000 Australian workers that uh, are, uh, have been working zero hours. Uh, so they're essentially being kept in employment by this, this wage subsidy uh, mechanism. Uh, and as that uh, ends at the end of March, we'll have some uh, industry support, so for aviation and tourism, for example, uh, but we will get some some letdown as as uh, businesses have to confront that they you know those workers will need to be let go. But uh, uh, again, when we look at these these headwinds, uh, they now look uh, in other areas in particular they look much milder. So around home loan deferrals, for example, um, and SME loan deferrals, uh, the as at March. The, the number of loans that are in temporary deferral is about 0.2 of a percent of uh, the whole book nationally. So it's a really small thing now. 
Uh, and around the labor market story, you know, that, that drop off in, in, um, in the job keeper support, okay, mate, it looks to be something in the order of you know, maybe 60 to 150,000 jobs that might be associated with that. Um, but at the same time, we're getting a significant lift in new hiring in other sectors. So back in November, uh, the number of job vacancies uh, surveyed by the ABS, and this is a survey of businesses, not, not sort of ads and stuff, there were about 250,000. It was a, it was a um, record high uh, across all states. So, um, and, and I think key to that is one aspect that we hadn't anticipated um, is that the speed of the turnaround in our housing sector. Um, back in October, we were, we were starting to pencil in uh, a significant uh, surge in, in our housing markets, particularly around prices, but we thought there'd be a little bit of transition first before we got to it. Uh, we've had to mark that significantly higher. Uh, it now looks like, well, we're in the midst of a very strong lift in house prices. Housing turnover has, has also um, surged strongly and housing construction is going with that as well. And I think that's one of the factors that's on the hiring side providing us with this uh, additional support. So that, that transition phase looks uh, looks less difficult uh, and you know, we, we're pretty uh, sure that this year is going to be a comfortably above trend growth year for Australia, uh, given we've still got some some reopening boost to come through. Uh, and given some of these other supports around housing, we think that uh, growth is going to be around 4.5% this year, which is very strong uh, by historical standards. How, how do you see the growth as a, a function of, you know, the equation being a combination of resilience, things um, evolving better than anticipated versus the situation of the moment driving, let's say, solutions or innovation or fat cutting or uh, things like that that have actually put businesses in a better position to recover than they probably would have been prior to the pandemic and so as you know in other words when even back in october being several months later you may not have even had enough data to determine the types of new solutions that are about to change how efficient certain companies could be let's say um am i am i am yeah, I yeah no, I, I, that that's a really that's a really good question um uh, i think uh, you know the, the the degree to which businesses are, are adapting. Uh, you know that's generating um, some of the, the momentum. I think it's definitely improving our resilience. Um, so when we get these mini lockdowns, um, you know we don't go sort of fall headlong into complete shutdown. You know we, we do seem to have a fallback operating uh, model, uh, and you know businesses that didn't have an online presence now sure as hell do, um, and and they do have these other other uh, modes of, of operation and delivery. Um, and and I think that that's helped. And I think also, you know, we we I think there's a that's we've sort of built a bit of muscle around that as well. You know, you've you've coped with the the national lockdown, you've coped with the Vic lockdown, and the, the sort of sporadic lockdowns. Um, so we're now less fearful about what what that might bring. Um, I think though that for Australia, the bulk of this is is still about the the relatively benign. Uh, pandemic we've had uh, I think you know notwithstanding the, the seriousness at times um, it's been a world away uh, from the experience of, of the, the major 
developed economies. Um, and I think that's, you know, once we grasped that that was the issue, that you know, we were having a much milder pandemic and we could actually still sustain this, that we weren't at, at risk, I think that was huge. I think also that the fiscal response here, the policy response um, has also been uh, really significant. You know, when we look at household cash flows um, uh, through the pandemic, um, we, we obviously we see this big shock that occurs through 2020 to, to wage incomes and hours worked and, and so forth. The the scale of the fiscal support more than compensated for that shock. So in aggregate, households in the first half of last year were ahead. They weren't they weren't down in terms of their incomes, uh, and I think that laid the groundwork for a much stronger initial rebound. I think there was there was a, a, a large reserve there for for businesses and households that have sort of paved the way for a smoother initial reopening. Um, I think going forward though it, it you know becomes more difficult to sustain that growth. You know that's that's a that's a policy card that's been played. Um, and I think from here, you know, businesses have to get back to the things you're talking about, about uh, adapting and streamlining. And I think there's some very difficult questions there. So for example, you know, one, one area that we, you know, we, we're sort of looking at closely is, is, is how do businesses reconfigure uh, to a sort of working from home or remote working or hybrid model. And in a lot of cases, businesses can uh, save enormous amounts of cost by by shifting to that model. Yet I think most majors uh, are still kind of in this uh, influx. You know, they've they've maintained their uh, their, their their office space uh, as is, thinking that they're going back to you know using it as per pre pre COVID. They haven't really decided what the new configuration is going to look like, um, and that's you know that's going to depend on how how different businesses operate, obviously. Okay, thank you. I think the additional things that show through uh, are that I think one of the points we made, made I made it back in October, um, you know, in the grips of of the, the, the pandemic and just sort of emerging from our lockdowns locally, that the, the trickiest part I think for for online retailers or for most businesses going forward is going to be judging that that medium term view. We already sort of talked about businesses reconfiguring their operations. What is the post COVID environment really going to look like? Um, and, and it's still very unclear. We know there's still going to be a, a lot of upheaval over the next few months as we, uh, you know, as we uh, as we as we confront some of the the, the legacy issues around uh, around COVID uh, and some of the costs that have have really been borne yet. Um, uh, but you know we we're still going to see a lot of upheaval. So if we think about the retail space more specifically, uh, you know we've gone from one extreme pre well, pre pandemic to one extreme during national lockdown, uh, where we saw a, a, a big surge in, in online. Uh, uh, retail sales. Uh, now we're, we've sort of gone part of the way back to to where we were pre-pandemic, um, and consumers are clearly going to go back towards some of the things they haven't been able to do over the last year. Once uh, you know, travel restrictions and, and hospitality restrictions get eased, uh, so where we land in terms of you know, what that flow through retail and through the online channels looks like uh, is still very uncertain. Um, in some areas, it looks like we've actually gone all the way back that, you know, for things like uh, you know, clothing and household goods retail, for example, um, you know, people still seem to need that 
that in-person experience uh, and, or seem to prefer that in-person experience. Um, uh, perhaps it's also you know, going hand in hand with your know, furniture purchasing rather than you know, the electronic equipment purchasing. But um, in other sectors, it, it looks like we're seeing more lasting changes. So basic food retail looks to be embracing more of an online model. Uh, so I think for me, that's, that's still an open question for, for online retailers. You know, has, you know, they've had a, definitely had a, a, an edge during the pandemic and a huge uh, boost uh, in terms of people experiencing online versus in-store retailing. Uh, and you know, having uh, broken the ice with some new customers, you'll, you'll have a, a better in uh, to, to maintain them. Uh, but you know, how much are they going to go back to uh, the, the, the physical experience um, as, as part of retailing? Um, and, and can we offer, can online retailers offer you know, added value that's going to see them stick to this new mode? I think, I think for me, that's still the big question here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I was just going to follow that up. I, um, asking, how, how do you think the, the bit of awakening of consumers over the last year, uh, particularly in, in terms of online retail uh, out of necessity, uh, is going to disrupt the models that you've counted on uh, in some way in recent years. And it's almost like we have to rediscover the models over the next couple of years to see if that still holds true. Or are we in new, a new frontier right now? Yeah. I, again, I, I think it's a, it's a really open question. Um, you know, having sort of tracked the, the, the emergence of online retailing in Australia, um, you know, we, we've been much, we've seen a much slower take up prior to, to the, to the pandemic. And I think some of those issues um, you know, relate to um, you know some of the, the the topography of Australia. You know, in terms of getting, um, you know, for example, one of one of the uh, the big supermarket retailers and talking about their online offering. You know, their their one of their big focuses is, is same day delivery. Um, so some of those sort of uh, you know, premium offerings that are, are standard uh, in, in, in the big northern hemisphere markets haven't quite been been nailed down in Australia to the same extent. And I don't think, to, to, to my to my view, there's, there's not really been a, a a sort of killer app for for online retail in Australia along those lines. Yeah, you know, we sort of ha- Amazon really sort of promised to change the game. It, it's I think awakened partially awakened online retailing, <laughs> and, then, and then pandemic's given it a, a good nudge as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't I don't think it's quite mature to the point where people just take it as as you know the the norm. You know, rather than you know. Traveling out to the to the to the shops and all the traffic hassle that goes with it, we, we're not quite there. Maybe in some of the you know Sydney, Melbourne, that that's you're, you're closer to being across the line there. But I think we're still uh, still lacking in some of the key infrastructure, even if the attitudes are, are sort of there already. And looking once again at what could surprise us, what could be the un, unpredictable things out there, uh, in your estimation, based on however you can arrive at this thought, what, what sector within online retail do you think is most likely to be the um, a surprise winner? feels to me that the, the, the major food retailers are closer to, to achieving their, their sort of online uh, goals. And, and so I think um, that could be an area where, you know, where, where the familiarity that we've gained during the pandemic gets 
really good leverage. Yeah. Um, I think in the other sectors, it still feels very fragmented. And in some areas, so household goods, retail, for example, um, it, it's a it's quite a, a an amorphous segment. You, you've got everything from your 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 IT equipment that you you absolutely order online and get delivered, at, you know, and would have been a lot of spend, spending associated that with kitting out home offices during the pandemic. Um, but now we're shifting to if it's more of a housing dominated spending cycle, it's more of your furniture and uh, and fittings. Now, I I do wonder whether that's a space that that you could see much stronger take up of, of online offerings. I think um, you know if you th- if you think through furniture and fittings, uh, you know, hey, cards on the table. I'm in the middle of a renovation here myself, so uh, I've seen how. That's one of mine. That's right, and I've seen how. Um, how accessible or how some of the online apps around home design have become more accessible, definitely more affordable. Um, and it seems to me there's a small step that you can make from you know, an app that helps you uh, try a few different layouts for a bathroom um, that then should connect you to the suppliers and retailers of, of those items so that you don't actually have to go out and, and do the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, Legging around the, the city, looking at different uh, your bathroom show homes to to, to actually make you if you've especially if you've actually done that already, yeah. that that final leg could be yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> again the, the traffic and parking hassles yeah, that's right. um, um, so I think I think there's, there's some spaces where um, you know that that the familiarisation and the integration with some of these other uh, other apps that people are starting to use could really be more of a catalyst you know now that we we are squarely in a housing boom you know this is kind of an opportunity for those those uh those channels to really really click into gear uh any final leave behind thought you'd like to uh sort of conclude our time together with uh parting shot i think the still the jury's still out on on how uh the online retail space has really um capitalized on the pandemic i said back in october this was Absolutely, that the sector's uh, huge chance to really um, make huge inroads in Australia, that uh, they were getting uh, exposure to a huge market segment that hadn't experienced online retail. Uh, and, you know, there was, you know, clear uh, revenue streams off the back of that and a chance to really define yourself in the space and, and really a, a kind of market moment for, for online retail. Um, I, I think the jury's out as to whether we've really done best out of that. I know it's definitely been a good year. You know, sixty to seventy percent growth in sales is is a, is a nice one to book, whichever way you look at it. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I don't know that we've really marked out the territory uh, in a way that's going to really uh, stick in people's minds. So I think for me, you know, we, we, there's still a, a big job to do for Australia's online retail segment. Uh, be interesting to at the uh the big show in july the online retailer live it'd be interesting to see uh where things land at that moment and and yeah. uh and, and how, how much uh how much further away or closer to your original <laughs> cross nine, you know it'll be a test in a lot of ways because i think july you know we've only just begun our vaccination program in australia uh the last week um and july i'm, I'm thinking should be about around about the time where we can really start to relax social distancing restrictions and um, and domestic borders, and we can start to move ahead. So I think the actual the event itself will be uh, kind of symbolic of, 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 of how well things have progressed. 
probably a great relief, cyber relief and celebratory uh, environment, I would imagine. Matt, how can people connect uh, to you either that, through Westpac or mm-hmm. through social media, LinkedIn, what have you? So uh, all of our uh, economic research and commentary is, is available through uh, westpaciq.com.au. Um, so the uh, publications like the Red Book and, and uh, our Westpac Card Tracker, which I'd uh, point people towards, which looks at uh, weekly uh, credit and debit card usage. Uh, we've just got data up till, till mid-March, so it's really timely information, um, including uh, some indicators from that around in-person uh, and uh, online uh, spend. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's our, our main channel. Uh, we're in LinkedIn, we're in uh, Twitter and other areas, but I would, I would say go to the website for sure. Okay. And, and, and obviously you can run into Matt at the uh, online retailer in July. Absolutely. Uh, undoubtedly. So, all right. Well, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Hassan, senior economist at Westpac. What a pleasure. Thank you for your insights and uh and being willing to talk openly about uh, what you thought and what you think now. So, uh, and, and how those things may match up or not. So uh, interesting discussion. All right, Matt, and uh, best, best health to you and good luck with your uh, renovation. Thanks. You too. All the best. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Fusion Fast Forward. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. I'm Mark Waco. Have a great day.